Hello and welcome to another episode of R3 Cents, a podcast celebrating the finest video games of the last 30 years. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Christian Benteke is an overrated footballer. And my childhood friend Christopher Dow. I've just eaten 13 pence of chocolate coins. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 93s, but before we do that, it's trivia time. Oh, hello. Fingers on buzzers, chaps. I'm ready. Oh, that's my nipple, Minty. (laughs) 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 Oh my. The current state of affairs is it is 4-2 in favour of Christopher. So, Minty, can you claw one back or will Chris extend his lead? Question. In order to perform Chun-Li's spinning bird kick attack in Street Fighter 2... What controller and button combination must be used? Is it A, forward, down, down, forward, forward and kick? Is it B, press kick repeatedly? Is it C, button mash and hope it happens? Or is it D, charge down, up and kick? It's the... uh, Whichever one was the forward, down, down, forward. In that case, I'll go for option B. Press kick repeatedly? Yes. Okay, uh, neither of you are correct. So this is another one for the... The Quizmaster. The Quizmaster, for it is actually charge down and up and kick. Oh. So this is uh, the first episode that we're recording in 2019, and there's no way anyone can prove otherwise. So what have we been playing so far in 2019? Mm. Minty. Well, I'm done with Smash Brothers. I'm playing uh, Tales of Vesperia Deluxe Edition. Oh. And how is Tales of Vesperia Deluxe Edition? Really nice, yes. Did it finally download for you? Yeah, I have a very... uh, I think it's called the Miser Plan. (laughs) On my my internet plan. So it took eight hours to download. It could be like a a 56k nostalgia plan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. The retro plan. And it's great. I mean, it's exactly the deluxe version of the game I played about 10 years ago. I've just beaten the first sort of roadblock boss, which gave, I think, everybody who I've come across on the internet who's played that game problems. And I've just seen the the new character, which I believe was only included in the Japanese version of the game. So I'm excited to see um, how to unlock them. Myself, I have I've actually been having a little uh, revisitation to some previous games that I've played thanks to the sale on the Nintendo eShop. So I rebought Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle so that I could finally play the Donkey Kong DLC, which was really good fun. Lovely game. I also bought Rayman Legends, which I previously owned on the Wii U. Really, really good. And then I bought Stardew Valley. And despite having put like 40 hours into it on the PC, I um, am probably 40 plus hours into it now on the, on the, on the Switch. What I always enjoy about the Switch is uh, anytime your name pops up in the corner to say you're online, it always mm. makes me want to go and see what you've been playing and, and how long you've been playing it for. And if you check our <laughs> histories next to each other, as we found out in the past, I'm, I'm quite slow to get through stuff. And especially around the time of Smash Bros, like a couple of weeks in, uh, you know, I was quite impressed that I was like, oh, I've played this for 30 hours. That's quite a commitment from me. And then I checked your page and it's like 19,000 hours <laughs> in, in exactly <laughs> the same period of time. So, yeah, I, I don't doubt that Stardew Valley, you've somehow played more hours than there are in the day. <laughs> well, to be fair, that would not surprise me as 
I flew through six time zones over New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> and it does wonders for your uh, your gaming log. Absolutely, absolutely. So what have you been playing, Chris? I would be utterly remiss not to finally mention a game I've been playing a lot for, oh, I don't know, a month or so now. And that is Clone Hero on the PC, or Mac I've been playing it on, ah. uh, which is essentially an, an open source reverse engineered guitar hero that a team of dedicated fans put together to essentially be able to play any track from any guitar hero or rock band game plus any number of things that the community has kind of tracked and charted themselves i've always been a big fan of music games anyway and guitar hero i've I've played a lot over the years across different iterations and rock band as well and having such a humongous library now has been like an absolute joy to go back to wonderful this has been a real i'd like like a nice challenge to now be able to get hold of a lot of songs that people have charted themselves that are kind of that extra bit more difficult and it's what i've always enjoyed about these games is, is that kind of sensation that you can physically feel yourself get better at something i find it it's a really addictive thing to just say like, oh, i'll just play for half an hour and that has honestly taken up what feels like hundreds of hours over the last month or so since my brother very nicely bought me a usb guitar in kind of early december Lovely. so that's what i've been playing and i i love it fantastic i uh, i've always i always loved guitar hero games but yeah i often i often wish that uh, i could play along to songs that i actually was into but then that was, was probably my own fault um actually you know what no i'm blaming my brother graham for raising me on progressive rock <laughs> <laughs> and i'm blaming you i'm blaming you for by proxy getting me into progressive rock as kids as well yeah sorry about that i remember was it for like my 13th birthday we went to go and see yes in concerts yes and what i really regret now what i, what I honestly regret is like seeing that at the time i, I you know I, I enjoyed it but i don't think i was really as blown away as as you and, and your brother alex were yeah and if i'd gone like a few years later you know i've got i've got loads of yes on vinyl this is stuff like i absolutely love now <laughs> so let's move on to the rankings uh starting this week with Christopher. Can you please tell us what is your number 93 in your list? Okay, it is uh, Sega Saturn time again. I don't know if that means I didn't like the Saturn because they're all quite low down, or if that means that uh, I just played a lot of Saturn games and they're peppered throughout the list. Um, But yeah, this is another Sega Saturn game, and it is a title by Sonic Team. And their input was kind of quite mixed on the Saturn in that they didn't really release a proper Sonic game, which is what they'd been known for essentially for years. Um, Outside of we had Sonic Jam, which is just a compilation of the, the Mega Drive Sonic games and the 3D open world museum mode that you mentioned back when you were talking about Sonic R. They did Nights in Streams that you mentioned the Christmas version, again, going back a couple episodes to the Christmas one. They had a small hand in the port of Sonic 3D Blast that came to the the Saturn because they did the special stages for it. And they finally did this game, which is Burning Rangers. Oh, I love a good firefighting game. Oh, what an absolute classic. This was like the the swan song of the Saturn, wasn't it? Absolutely. Really late. A really, really late release. And it's essentially, for those who may not have played it, Burning Rangers, it's a 3D action game where you're playing as a firefighter in kind of the near future. Which is now probably the recent past. Because at that time, everything was going to be very sci-fi by the year about 2013, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we do have uh, USB chargeable cigarettes now, so that's something. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially the game had you going through a small set of missions, so it wasn't a, a long game, but it had you juggling between exploration of these, these stages, fire management and control was kind of like fires were breaking out in places the rescue of survivors as you were making your way through these levels and then each stage would have kind of like a big boss enemy at the end which felt like a real throwback to other sonic team stuff like knights and and sonic and that kind of thing but what i really love about it what makes it stand out is it's got 
loads of atmosphere. It kind of set itself apart from games of that time by, you know, interspersing each stage with this kind of like anime cutscenes. It had a really quite advanced lighting model for for that time. So the fires would, would cast, you know, like colourful illumination of, of the stage. So it, it was easily one of the kind of the strongest engines to look at in, in terms of like Saturn games. And it also had really great, like a great sense of movement. We've talked before about how kind of 3D games started to change around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your character was was quite nuanced in that even with the restrictions of essentially like just a digital D-pad on like a standard satin pad, you still had to control the game's 3D camera. You still had to control your movement across like a full 3D axis. So you, you could dodge like sudden outbursts of fire. You could use your jetpack to kind of like traverse up tall rooms and buildings. And it just felt like you had a lot more control than other games of that time. Like if you think back to, I don't know if anyone played like Croc, because even that, like that was trying to go the same direction as Mario 64, but using like tank controls. So essentially like you would, you would pivot on a spot and press a button then to propel yourself forwards. Whereas this was like direct control that the D-pad moved you in these directions and you kind of manipulated the camera itself using the shoulder buttons and i think that's because burning ranger was was then probably just about post mario 64 so games were kind of beginning to change and, and everything then shifted at that stage you know mario 64 is, is the game changer in terms of 3d movement oh absolutely yeah it's, it's a really good game I, I say it's short but it had great replayability because the rooms and level layouts themselves would alter as you went back to them uh, certain survivors would move positions or you'd have different people to rescue on different missions and there was also a really sort of fantastic system which reminds me of like the way um we talked about those little characters in nights that could kind of like grow and change over different runs yeah where at the end of a stage you'd get sent emails by the survivors you found either thanking you saying like oh i've been saved it was great but sometimes like updating you on their life like going through college or oh, wow little bits like slice of life type stuff which was really nice when i have been able to return to it i've been really sort of consistently surprised by how it just stands out not by being kind of like a perfect game but by being kind of like an outlier for the platform and a really brave different sort of release from a team that really started to lose their way kind of like from the Dreamcast era onwards. Yeah. So this was kind of one of the last really interesting things I think Sonic Team did. Well, there we go. The swan song from the Sega Saturn. Much like a swan, let us gracefully move on to the next entry, which is over to you, Clement Minty Booth. Okay. This is a game of firsts in my life. I think it was probably the first remake that I ever played. It was the first game where I was aware that there were video games that were released in Japan and not in the UK. Ooh. Thinking back on it, it was a very average game of the time and of the genre when it was first released on its original platform. It marked the beginning of a time in my life where I was particularly obsessed with this type of game. It was the very first game that I ever imported. Ah. Because it was such a late remake of such an early game in the series, it's unrecognisable from what it once was. It's probably my favourite video game where the final boss is a bag. <laughs> <laughs> final Fantasy 3. Ah. Which is not the Final Fantasy 3 that was released in the US. Okay. The Final Fantasy 3... That was released in the US was actually Final Fantasy VI. But this was just a really solid JRPG. It was wonderful. So one of the things that I really love in games is when you go out into an open world and you sort of explore the map and then something happens and there's a second map. Do you play map, eh? Link to the Past is a, is a prime example. You'd go through Hyrule 
and then you'd go through the the sacred land which had been twisted by Ganondorf getting hold of the sacred power and twisting the sacred realm to his evil designs such a dick yeah I know I know I, I really like that sort of oh this is this is the game but wait this is the game so much more I really like that in games um, there's there's a few which I'm pretty sure are on my list where that's happened several times. So I, I played through a few of the early Final Fantasy entries and to have one remade in glorious handheld 3D was really nice. A really, really tight story with a fully fleshed out job and magic system. As a taste of what was to come in Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy V, a really nice introduction to the job system and the remake offered a nice story with lovely graphics cunning spirit i mean yeah as i said the final boss was a bag but really <laughs> isn't the final boss the journey that you went on and the friendships you made along the way <laughs> that's the real bag yeah so yeah my number 93 final fantasy 3 the remake so I've never played a Final Fantasy game properly, but I do own that on the DS and Final Fantasy 4 with the full intention of playing them. Still haven't. I know that they, they released both of those remakes on mobiles, didn't they? They did, yeah. So maybe maybe one day I'll uh, I'll do that. Or maybe not. Those are the two options. For me, with Final Fantasy, because it's like it's a big series, obviously. And I've got this weird thing where I always want to start at the beginning of stuff. Absolutely. This is why I am writing off Kingdom Hearts 3, because I'll never... Oh, God. That's the most convoluted numbering of... Ridiculous, anyway. Absolutely ludicrous. Um, but yeah, for Final Fantasy, I've been trying to play through the first one on and off for years now. And I have a save on my PSP that's like 25 hours in. And I, I can't be that far away from finishing it, really. And maybe then, one day, I'll get round to 2 and finally 3. But it is, it's been hard fought <laughs> to get to that stage. Yeah. There it is. Our first Final Fantasy game in our three cents. Will it be the last? I don't know. Listen on for the next two years and find out. Mm. <laughs> so moving on, we have the final entry this week, which is my entry. So my number 93 is a game from the Game Boy Color. Oh. Lovely. It is an RPG. Yeah. It's a game that involves exploring. Yeah. It's a game that involves battling. Yeah. It's a game that involves capturing things. Yeah. Using them in said battling. Oh. I am, of course, talking about Dragon Warrior Monsters. Dragon Warrior Monsters! I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. So Dragon Warrior Monsters was criticised slightly at the time for being a bit of a Pokemon clone. I mean, there are obviously elements of the kind of the Pokemon sort of, you know, franchise in there in the way that uh, it was built around uh, exploration and capturing monsters and using the monsters to battle. But there was so much that it did that sort of set it apart. The reason I sort of first got excited about it is it was the first RPG that I got on the Game Boy Color. At this point, Pokemon Gold and Silver hadn't come out, so it had that for it going above you know, uh, the original Pokemon series on the Game Boy. I mean, I'd never played a Dragon Quest game, so I didn't know any of the, the lore. Deep lore. I'm sure it is, f like, unfathomably deep lore. Ooh. <laughs> 
isn't the lead character from this called Terry? Yes, he is. Yeah, and it, <laughs> in doing my research for this, I only just found out that actually the main characters are taken out of one of the previous Dragon Quest games. I think Dragon Quest Four or something like that. Okay, I, I, and I didn't know that, and I, I still clearly not sure that I do know that. So I enjoyed it totally, aside from it being part of the Dragon Quest kind of uh, franchise. You know, I'd seen reviews of it, and I'd seen sort of features of it in various magazines, and thought actually this looks really, really fun. This looks like a sort of Pokemon game that's in colour on the Game Boy Color, I've got to have it. And I got it. And it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so there are several things I really, really liked about it. In many ways, it's probably the first kind of sort of roguelike I sort of played in the fact that every time you went out uh, adventuring, it was randomly generated. Every time you went out, it would be a different environment. If it was going to be like mountainous or by like, you know, water or probably ice and fire as well, I imagine. And then the layout, uh, the, the topology and the topology was different every single time you know you'd encounter different monsters and so there was always kind of a reason to kind of go out on another adventure because oh it might this might be the time when i go you know find something different or something new uh, that was really really exciting i had this brilliant hub world that was this giant tree where you sort of lived and there was a community that lived there and like this was where the like the kingdom was and the more sort of areas you unlocked there'd be little shops that opened or different characters that did different things there was a massive battle arena, which was really, really good fun, which is something that like Pokemon didn't didn't have uh, until, you know, way, way into the series. But the main thing that set it apart from Pokemon that has since become a massive staple of the Pokemon series from Pokemon Gold and Silver onwards is uh, the breeding system. And in Pokemon, the way it works is if you put two Pokemon together, there'll be an egg and inside will be a baby version of one of them. Whereas in this it didn't even work like that. There was a very sort of complex system involved. So if you wanted, so you could end up kind of breeding two monsters to get a slightly stronger version of that monster, which would be a different different one. And then you could get a couple of those and breed them to get an even stronger monster. So take, for example, the very iconic slime character that's in the Dragon Quest series. You could catch like two sort of normal slimes, breed them, and you'd get like a, uh, maybe like a metal slime and then you could maybe breed that with a larger thing to get a large metal slime and then if you've got two large metal slimes you could get like a large gold slime there was always a reason to sort of go out and catch more monsters you know and breed them and find out what sort of new combinations there were how strong they were how they would sort of work with the other sort of monsters in your team just really really good really sort of deep sort of system pokemon series has never kind of matched that sort of level of sort of complexity with breeding so yeah i absolutely loved dragon warrior monsters and i know that there were several sequels i never played any of them and i don't know why because there was a there was a direct sequel which had like a two different versions obviously again very pokemon-y then it turned into dragon quest monsters joker on like the ds and 3ds I remember Joker being a thing uh, yeah. and never really made the connection because I remember you talking about this game like when we were kids yeah. when, you, when you got it for the Game Boy Color but, but seeing it on the shelf I never made the connection yeah I didn't as well and I was working in game uh, and was seeing it and thinking oh okay yeah that reminds me of Dragon Warrior Monsters but I never thought <laughs> I was like I didn't sort of realize and then 
when I sort of actually looked at it instead of just alphabetizing it, as was my job, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, this is what it is. And I, I did I did buy it and had a little play of it. And it was in, you know, it was in like full 3D, which again, like the Pokemon series hadn't even got to at that point because it hadn't done like X and Y. And yeah, it just wasn't quite, I don't know, it was fine. But um, I'd love it if there was a new Dragon Quest Monsters developed for the Switch. I think that would be fantastic. There's a lot of love for the Dragon Quest series on the Switch and by Nintendo. So uh, maybe, maybe. But who knows? Maybe in the near future that might be something that, that develops. But in the meantime, Dragon Warrior Monsters will live very, very fondly in my memory. Lovely stuff. So there we have it. Uh, it's another week done for our three cents. We had Burning Rangers, Final Fantasy 3, and Dragon Warrior Monsters. Oh, what a trio. What a trio. And you can see this trio back next week for our number 92s. In the meantime, if you have any questions or feedback, please do reach out to us on Twitter. You can find me at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm still not on Twitter, but I am on Instagram. Drunk Ollivander. Tag your posts with our three cents and we should absolutely look out for your contributions. As always, huge thanks goes to the Double Down Podcast Network for hosting this and we shall see you in a week's time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.